about all things Messianic Judaism. Each episode, we will be sharing our opinions as we tackle some of the biggest issues in Messianic Judaism. Now, here's your hosts, Rabbis Eric, David, Jonathan, and Toby. Hey guys, thanks for joining us for another episode of the Messiantics Podcast. We are excited to have uh, Gary and Petra Scott back with us again from the Road to Jerusalem. Uh, we finished up our conversation with them last week and uh, just really uh, had a lot more that we wanted to talk with them about and uh, and wanted to uh, to give them opportunity to, to fully express uh, what the Lord has on their heart. And so we're going to dive back into it. And one of the things that was really boiling in my brain uh, as we were talking last episode um and uh i know this is something really heavy on gary's heart that that i hear him talk about quite a bit but both gary and petra uh talk about it a lot is that one of the things that plagues especially and i'm not going to speak to to the entire world but especially here in, in america one of the things that plagues uh the the body and and realistically society as a whole is the uh breakdown of the the family nucleus in particular you know not having a father and mother in 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 the home and and so on and uh this i thought it was a really intriguing uh, kind of outcome or, or maybe accidental byproduct. I don't know how you guys realized that this was a facet of what was going on, but you know, you talk quite a bit about the table and the Passover seders, but particularly the table being something that uh, God has used in tremendous ways to bring about family restoration. Uh, and so I wanted to hear some of your heart on that particular issue and and how you've seen the table and you know the restoration of, of the kind of importance of Shabbat play into the healing and restoration of the family nucleus uh, as you've gone out and ministered with the table and other things from the road? Well, that's, yeah, that, that is a hard to see um, just that breakdown in a lot of communities, um, especially in a lot of urban communities to where there's not a large representation of healthy manhood or healthy fathers in the community. And so with the introduction of the table, we're able to bring everyone from the community, from all walks of life. And what we do, we sit everybody at the table. So you have the well-off, the business owners versus people just coming off the street. You know, everyone's sitting together and they're having this encounter at one time. And what we do is we have, if we know or we can see there's not a male presence, there's not a father figure in that particular neighborhood, we just invite the men to do the blessing over uh, the community, over that table. Um, and also, my heart is because I am in the community day in and day out, and I'm able to see the dynamics of when a father is present, when a father is not. And so being able to do the table helps invite just healthy uh, male figures, right, to, to interact with the community on a different level to which otherwise they would not have been able to uh, see it. The Petra can chime in. Um, and, and just to add to what Gary said, most importantly, like he said, that table is equitable. We're all sons and daughters. But what we have seen is that the table establishes God as father. Mm-hmm. So it's an immediate void filler. Mm-hmm. Because even though that absence is Pe- there. Petra, say that again. I think that was such a powerful statement. I don't want it to go past uh, our listeners. There it is. I think the most important part about the table, especially in communities where fathers aren't present, 
or there's just a significant absence is that the table is equitable, meaning we're all equal sons and daughters at the table. And what the table does is it establishes God as father. He's the head of the table. And when that's established, it immediately fills the void of absence of a fatherly presence. Well, wow, that's and, such a powerful statement just by itself. And and what we have seen as a ministry is that when people think of absence from a father, they feel like now I don't have an inheritance. Now I don't have an identity. Now I don't have a protector. Those are the three big things that people typically look to in fathers. They look to some type of fulfillment of inheritance, identity, and protection. But when you're at the Lord's table and you say, man, I'm inheriting the rest in the shalom. What does shalom mean? It means nothing lacking, nothing missing. It's wholeness. So if I'm saying Shabbat Shalom, this this type of peace to me on the Sabbath, I'm saying at this table, nothing in my life has to go missing. Nothing has to be absent because I have Shalom in the Father. Then I'm also saying, whoa, he's brought me into community. I'm not at this table alone. I've got brothers and sisters that are here. This is where we can begin to see that practical Acts 1, right, right lived out where... Hey, you've got a need, like Gary said, hey, I may be one and only fathers here, but if I'm at this table with you, I'm covering you too. So now you can begin to even see the communal power that comes from all sitting at the Lord's table together. And then protection. What greater protection is there than the blood of Yeshua that gives us this inheritance and this divine access at the Lord's table? It's it's nothing like it. And what we what we love to see are the testimonies. And I, I, I have a few and I know Gary has a few of, of testimonies from the table where people have tangibly experienced this. The one I want to share is we were doing a uh, Gary and I were asked to do a marriage retreat <clears throat> and these couples wanted us to pour into them. And we said, OK, we'll do the retreat, but it has to be uh, over a Friday. So we did a Thursday, Friday, Saturday morning. And they said, well, why has it got to be with a Friday in the middle? Why can't we just start, you know, Saturday and just do what they kind of said? Because we want to introduce you guys to the Lord's table. We want to introduce you to Shabbat. And they said, okay. And what we did was we had sessions on Thursday and we really got to some root issues, identify some things the couples were dealing with. But on that Friday, we did Shabbat with them. We walked them through it. And when it came down to the blessing portion, we didn't just have the husbands read Proverbs 31 over the wife. What we did was we said, we want you to look at one another. We want you to say these traditional scriptures, but we also want you to give each other affirmations for what season you're in in your marriage right now. And what ended up happening was what what could have been five, six minutes ended up being 30 minutes of tears because the couples said, we haven't intentionally blessed each other like this since the vows on our wedding day. Hmm. And the and the youngest couple that was there had been married six years. Hmm. And so there was a real absence of honor and blessing in the home because there was no vehicle to do it. When, when most Gentile believers go to church, you're sitting there, you're receiving a message, and then you go home, right? 
you if you you celebrate a, a traditional Gentile holiday, you're sitting there, then you you go home. But Shabbat forces this principle of mutual blessing, of mutual honor, and it brings about a type of fulfillment and revival of the Lord's presence into the home. And so um, we were able to see marriages set on fire and restored through some very difficult situations. But they all at the end said, it was really that thing y'all did on Friday night at the table that really solidified uh, what what we've experienced. And then Gary, you want to tell some testimonies of some of these kids uh, that have, have come to the table? Yeah, I mean, so... Man, there's, there's so many, but one couple of them I'll do really quick. One, a testimony is just healthy restoration of the parent, like child balance. Um, prior to the table, I would mentor kids who were just having a hard time at home, and there's a lot of conflict with the parent and vice versa. And so I would tell them, hey, just come to the table. Come come hang out in the community, a neutral environment, and just encounter and some of the testimonies from that's the same thing. Tears begin to flow after the blessing to where the parents say, hey, you know, I understand now. Or the child saying to the parent, I'm sorry um, for my behavior because just the, of the experience of just being able to look each other in the eye. And not only just say I love you, but just to enjoy one another in a holistic kind of a manner. Um, and allowing them to put the week aside and just focus on each other in that particular moment. Um, also seeing kids, I've seen kids transform from, you know, seeing them on Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, stressed out from the week. And I say, hey, come to the table and just relax, you know, and then watching them go from just tense and wild, super tight with anxiety and pressure just to see them smiling and hugging and just laughing uh, for the first time in weeks. Um, it's just some of the smaller testimonies amidst, like, I mean, literally I got hundreds of them. Okay, well, I have a, a couple of questions. One I'd like to, and, and this is kind of feeding off of the end of last podcast, okay. uh, when Petra said something about how congregations tend to be, you know, how does this grow my congregation? How do I reap from this? How do I, you know, we we tend to be, looking at other ministries we want to be involved in in a how is this symbiote to me you know if if i support them what do i gain out of it what you know how do we help each other in that way but how do you share the value of an outreach like the table uh that is reaching out to uh receivers rather than people that are able to be givers so to speak you know when you go to an inner city area where there's poverty there's broken families there's uh drugs and and all that and and the people that you're ministering to are all going to be receivers uh and not givers there's there's not a gain to the home congregation you're in in finances maybe not even in attendance uh, because the purpose of the of the roads table is not to get somebody necessarily to attend a a particular congregation, but to uh, so so how do you explain that value to somebody so that they see the value so that they then support what you're doing? Well, two things. Uh, I love that question, Rabbi. Two things. Um, the first thing is. What we have done is we have shifted the paradigm on what 
typical American outreach is in the way we do the table. Let me explain what I mean by that. When we do the table, we do it in this urban area, but we don't just focus on the urban community. So we invite people who have attended our Passover Seders, people who have come to our our Rosh Hashanah Seders, people who have come to any Road to Jerusalem events that we have done, people that are part of local church communities. We invite nonprofit leaders and other pastors that are in the area because what we have found back to that context of the table being equitable is that if you take the table in a community and you make them feel like they're inferior and in need of receiving and everybody else is there to help them, it disarms the concept that the table is equitable. We invite them all to come worship and engage in Shabbat with this community. And what we've seen, because when we do the table, we're in urban communities, but we have linen tablecloths, we have beautiful centerpieces. We get actual loaves of challah. We have kadim, right? We're not just using little communion, uh, uh, the little the peel back, the, the I call it the foam wafer and <laughs> the, the fermented grape juice. Oh, man, kadim's, you know, we kadim's have a good stuff. Actual, oh, yeah. We have actual challah and kadim like we've learned it from our Jewish brothers and sisters. And then what we do is we have giveaways to meet practical needs and everybody's participating. We also have been including worship. Uh, my sister has come down and, and engaged in worship. And what happens is everybody's there receiving. And it's these people in these urban communities. One of, one of the testimonies that we received was a young girl saying, these white ladies sitting over here, they, they worship and receiving and praying where in my community. They're they're sitting here eating dinner with me. We have a meal with dignity. We don't do, you know, hot dogs and hamburgers. We do roasted chicken and French style green beans and rice and macaroni and cheese. We have catered meals from indigenous restaurants in the area or indigenous chefs from that area. Mm. And so we really tap into this vein of honor, equitable, we're all sons and daughters. And then when people are experiencing that, what they see is that it's not about them being in need and us coming to help them. It's that we're all in need. We're all partakers at the table. So with that being said, the return on investment is community empowerment, but it's also the return on the investment is also this understanding that Oneness and God's heart for oneness is essential to spiritual expression. And when people begin to see, man, if I'm equitable at this table with them, this also means I need to be in relationship with my Jewish brothers and sisters. This also means I need to value this one new humanity, this these and those being one that Yeshua talks about in John 17. It brings people back to this communal expression of kingdom faith. So as you are migrating uh, through the, uh, the, the joys of ministry, uh, and you know, obviously it sounds like you've had some really great partnerships with uh, churches and such, what has been 
the um, what's been the the reaction or the uh, the interaction with the Messianic Jewish movement? You know, I know you've come to our congregation. You've been to to Bridam, Rabbi Eric and and Jonathan's congregation. You've been to Adada Tikva with Rabbi Jacob uh, Rosenberg and and a few others, and and have close connection with the Wilbers uh, uh, and so on. But but what has been the overall um, uh, reaction, interaction with the Messianic community as a whole, because clearly what you guys are doing is kind of more of a para-ministry. You know, it's not a congregational thing, but it is connected to congregations and, and involved in ministry with congregations and such. But it's a it's a para, it's, a, it's an outside of the, the congregation thing. And uh, as a, um, uh, a ministry that is very much Messianic at heart, and but but led by non-Jews, uh, how have you seen the the response from the greater Messianic Jewish community? That's a great question. Um, one, two, it's twofold. I think our reaction from the the greater Messianic Jewish community um, has been, for the most part, extremely supportive and receptive because they have watched specifically you know, me for years be a participant um, in, in Messianic community. You know, we, we, we've attended conferences. Uh, we support congregations. We support ministries in Israel um, and champion and we're allies for the Messianic community without a, a direct benefit, meaning, um, you know, our family hasn't profited you know, on connecting people to the Messianic community. It's been a relational thing. Our our big, you know, call and mission to really be an ally and stand with the Messianic community um, is something that we do out of obedience to the Lord, not necessarily out of a direct acceptance or rejection from the Messianic community, but we've, we've really seen that acceptance because they see, okay, you guys are the real deal. You know, you, you really love us. You really champion us and you're trying to express um, our purpose in the Gentile world in a healthy, balanced, biblically accurate way. And so for that reason, um, there has been acceptance. I will be honest. Um, I will say the majority of our acceptance has been a lot with the younger generation of, of Messianic leaders and, and Messianic rabbis that are coming up. I think there is still some resistance with sometimes older generations. And I say this with humility because I've been um, an observer for many years and I've watched how a lot of the older rabbis had to pioneer and and really establish the messianic movement and i've watched the rejection that they've experienced from the church and so sometimes there's skepticism when you have this gentile you know leader gentile ministry are you are you are you trying to work against what we work so hard to establish and so with love and honor i still try to build those relationships with the older generation of rabbis but i recognize that sometimes there is still strong resistance because there's been great hurt from the 
the church. There's been great hurt from replacement theology and supersessionism and, and anti-Semitic behaviors from those using the name Jesus. And so I, I tread that line lightly, but I don't shy away from it because I still desire to see, you know, us as a ministry championing as much of the Messianic community as we can. And so that's been important. But I also want to give this PS is that I believe in the Great Commission as it accurately is interpreted. What do I mean by that? In churches all over, maybe you hear the Great Commission, go you therefore, it's used as this is what Jesus was, is saying to us to go out and evangelize and to go out and be missionaries. No, the Great Commission was given to the Jewish disciples, right? To go as Jewish believers and be a light to the nations. And I believe that that doesn't exclude me as a Gentile, but I need to be in relationship with Jewish believers that are living that Great Commission for me to accurately live my Great Commission. And so every time we get the chance to share or talk about what we're doing, we always try to find ways to empower Messianic believers. As I said in our first episode, our dream and our long-term goal is to see a two-by-two two situation happen where you have a Gentile and a, and, and a Jew, both believers, doing regular expressions of this demonstrated one new humanity in urban and hurting communities throughout the U.S. That's the ultimate goal is that it's back to the Great Commission where what, for instance, you know, uh, Rabbi Eric, you and, and Jonathan are doing and, and Rabbi David, you and Rabbi Toby are doing. You all are that two by two <laughs> Jew and Gentile being a light in your communities. And there's something anointed and special about that. Um, hey, Petra, this is Rabbi Toby. And, and, and I think and this has been uh, kicking around in my mind really since we since the last episode um and but what you just said and what you guys do um it i just want to go back to what you said in the last episode which is one of some of the most intense warfare that you've experienced uh has been in this battle for uh, attaining unity between the jew and the gentile and i i i, I don't want to say this is so much of a question as more as it's kind of an uh an exhorting statement. I see very much what you guys are doing has a very um, Pauline um, has a very Pauline calling. Uh, Paul. Now you know Paul was a Jew. He was a Jew's Jew. But you guys just have such boldness, and you guys do what you do without without any fear. It's kind of like you know you obey the Lord and you leave the consequences to Him, and that's very much how Paul was. Paul's like, look, I'm going to obey. And I'm going to leave the consequences to God no matter what happens. But I, 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 I'm bringing up Paul because, uh, and, and you guys are familiar with this part of Scripture, it is one of, to me, uh, the most interesting moments in Scripture and, and probably, and one of the most interesting moments in the New Testament or the New Covenant, the Brit Hadashah. And that's in Galatians 2 when Paul describes, uh, the Apostle Paul describes a confrontation he had with Peter. And th there's so much to unpack with this um, with this uh, incident, this uh, this uh, exchange between these two giants in faith. And interestingly enough, what was happening is Peter, who 
it needs no introduction. It was one of the OG was one of the OGs of the OGs. Um, <laughs> That's right. Was having and was think, they were eating what you guys do a, a a very important part of the backbone of you guys' ministry and how you deliver uh, what you how you deliver your ministry is through having table. You know, is through sitting and eating. And this is what Peter was doing with Jewish and non Jewish believers. Yeah. And Paul was there, and then. When members also believers of the Jewish circumcision, but they were believers, when they show up, you know, James and those guys, or Yaakov and those guys show up, Peter gets up and leaves and withdraws from the Gentiles. And I love Paul's reaction. Paul, because he says, he goes, because what Peter was doing was not in line with the gospel, said, Peter, what are you doing? And and I just think that what you guys one I think it says I think the Bible is saying very loud and clear this is a struggle that we even experienced that that we have to fight against today and I think you guys are absolutely fulfilling what Paul was doing in that moment which was hey listen this this gospel is for everybody and I love that they were having table. And, you know, honestly, it's encouraging for me that even a giant of the faith like Peter had moments of going off mission, you know? Yeah. So anyway, I just wanted to say that. You know, it's just, it's just Try, what Trying to move his tray. Yeah. 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 Essentially I, I, doing, yeah, picking up his tray and leaving <laughs> when, when, the, when the cool guys show up. You know, I love that you say that. Um, Rabbi Toby, because even this is another part of, of Rabbi David's initial question of our impact in the Messianic community. Um, one of the biggest responses that we get within the Messianic community has been, man, the way you guys do Shabbat convicted me. I just mm. kind of go through the routine of it. Like, you guys took something that we've been doing without thinking for since the, since the day we were born, and you've put all of this meaning and power and symbols behind it and and i've almost taken it for granted a little bit yeah is what we are the testimonies we've gotten from jewish believers and they said you know what it's convicted me to mm. really be more present in adonai's presence for what he has for me in each particular shabbat and this is what i tell them i say hey we may be doing this table but your table is a great commission invite your neighbors yeah invite the, the 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 people that may be skeptical around you to your table and i said that will also reawaken uh what god is doing i i firmly believe there is a new wave of evangelism coming where jewish believers and messianic gentiles are at the forefront of it um i also believe that this concept of one new humanity i used to to watch, you know, for years before I stepped into my ordination and my calling as a leader, um, I used to watch my dad and coach primarily talk to Gentile audiences about One New Man. And I mentioned to my father, you know, around the time of our transition, I said, you know what I've realized is I've realized this message needs to be preached within messianic congregations as much as it needs to be preached mm -hmm. within churches and that's why it's been so refreshing our relationship for instance with rabbi david you know he is the first uh, messianic congregation i've seen do a full series on one new man i, I have 20 years connected to the messianic movement and have never seen a full series dedicated 
in the messianic world in that context and then to add to it you know you're talking about this peter paul i think your role rabbi toby is so significant because i believe god is going to continue to call gentiles to be messianic gentiles that live out this this call like you have but still maintain their identity right as a right. part of the nations or as a gentile because the messianic community needs to have in leadership those expressions of one new humanity just as i've seen a rise of jewish pastors you know uh, uh, rabbi david brought it up you know nathan wilbur he's one we've done relationship with we worked along with him to help a mega church a gentile mega church understand this concept And so I believe he's calling Jews to get into the Gentile world, but still maintain their Jewishness. And he's calling Gentiles to get into the Jewish world, but still maintain their Gentileness. This is all, I feel, a continuation of that two by two slash Peter Paul slash, you know, the power of one new man. Okay, I'd like to ask a question that that kind of directs to, to the two of you personally and that's this when uh just being a a believer a bible believer today makes things a little weird anyhow because society is pushing against it so strongly and then to be a jewish believer adds to that weirdness to that you know the the another level whole another (laughs) level of complexity but the two of you are african-american and part of the messianic movement and part of the church all working together and so i'm curious in your unique calling as individuals from your background as god created you and purposed you to be uh what was what are the biggest obstacles in being that connection between the church and messianic judaism and the city and what is what are the biggest advantages what do you see that god has gifted you purposely uh, to to and designed you that gives you an advantage in in that ministry. So if that makes sense, uh, the obstacles that that you come across, and then the distinct advantages uh, that God has given uh, in your unique calling. Awesome. Yeah, we'll both answer this question. Um, I will say this. I will say <laughs> we'll start with the obstacles. Um, I feel that the biggest obstacle is the pull of both sides to be exclusively a part of just one community. <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, it's 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 a common practice that, and it's something that we get all the time, where we'll be connected in the Messianic community, and that Messianic community says, "We want y'all here." And then we get connected to the church. That church says, no, we need y'all here. Uh-huh. <laughs> right. and, and we're going, we can't be with none of y'all like that. <laughs> you know, we can, we can be distant, but we have to have feet in both places. That, that's the greatest obstacle is, is even selfishly. Sometimes we're like, we just want to just lay down in one bed. But it's a missional call that we have to be in both places and in both worlds. Um, And, and that's, 
that is, uh, I would say, the greatest obstacle. But I think some of the greatest blessings, Rabbi Erica, some of the greatest advantages are um, just to give an example of you. Um, you know, when I got the chance to come out to Britam, you didn't just selfishly say, well, Petra, you're coming out to Britam and you can just minister at Britam. You connected me with a local pastor and we had who, who was skeptical. He didn't know me from uh, <laughs> a mountain of sandy desert, right? He he had no idea of who I was. But through your relationship with him, you know, we were able to have a conversation and immediately here's what happened. The Holy Spirit took over. He says this. He said, Petra, you ghosted me, meaning Holy ghosted me. He said, I thought it was going to be a five minute conversation and it was a 45 minute conversation. Mm -hmm. And he went from wanting to say, God bless you in the name of the Lord, sister, to giving me both of his services to speak, to giving me the ability to pour into his team. And that's that's a great honor. But rabbi, the, the advantage was here you were a rabbi understanding my call to both worlds. And in understanding that, that relationship gave access. And so one of the greatest things that Gary and I have experienced is, you know, when people relation relationally understand who we are, Rabbi David did the same thing. He brought me down to speak at Mayim Kaim, but had a whole luncheon for me to come talk to other pastors that he personally invited to come. I mean, that's that's the power of God. I mean, that type of stuff causes Gary and I to feel so humble and right. so honored. And I wouldn't trade that for the world. But if I was only in the church world, you guys wouldn't be able to do that. If I was only in the messianic world, you wouldn't have been able to do that. Mm. Um, and so the advantage is relational connections that understand the importance of both. And at the end of the day, I'm able to help, you know, the messianics better understand the church and the right. church better understand the messianics for the purpose of what journeying towards the road to Jerusalem, being one in Messiah for the kingdom of God. Right. And just to piggyback, it, 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 the, one of the blessings is it allows us to be an advocate, a third party mm -hmm. to go into situations and be holistically who we are, share the heart of the father. And as she said, just bring transparency to both sides. Um, and even to help mediate and orchestrate even some of the difficult conversations, which has been a huge blessing as well to bring about unity. And that, and, and the third piece I would add to that, um, which I think is very valuable because we're in both worlds, we're, we're advocates, but we're also agents. Absolutely. Um, I cannot tell you, at, at, since I've been doing the Road to Jerusalem, the number of messianic or uh, excuse me the number of jewish christians that we introduced to the messianic movement mm -hmm. uh we we had one sister who we met at the the church we were serving at here in jacksonville um and she said i think i could be jewish i said uh oh well you done ran into the wrong gentiles because we gonna help you fish it all the way out you know <laughs> and she then began a process, got an ancestry DNA test, my brothers, found out she is a very large percentage Ukrainian Jew. Um, from there, she then began to get in touch with Jewish relatives that they had no communication with. 
she reintroduced her family to Shabbat, did the first Hanukkah that they had done in centuries with her family. I mean, she single-handedly has been restoring the Jewishness to her family. Um, and then she has been connecting with Messianic communities. She went to her first Messianic conference and was in tears most of the time. Uh, just this past July, she I mean, she was in tears because she said, one, I've never been around this many Jewish believers. <laughs> and then two, she said, I've never felt so honored to uh, and comfortable to live and be all of who I am. And so we've been able to be, by being in both worlds, agents to help uh, those that have, have been Christians but have Jewish background be back connected or not be back connected but to be restored mm -hmm. to their jewish ancestry and lineage which i believe is also an attack of the enemy to keep uh jewish christians from embracing their jewishness so i've got a question for you guys uh ha having both of us being second generation leaders uh you know you guys uh taking over the road from uh from your dad from dr raleigh uh and uh, uh me being a, a second generation messianic rabbi there are uh, unique perspectives that we have that uh, that many others don't necessarily have, and so with that in mind, and and especially knowing that honor uh, is such an important value to you both uh, in in honoring uh, those that paved the way before you, I was curious um, what battles did you see. Uh, your dad and coach have to fight or struggles that they had to go through in getting the road to where it was when they handed it to you that you didn't have to go through and that ultimately paved the way for you guys to lead the road uh, in the direction the Lord's taking you. And with that, the second part of that question is what battles do you see laying before you that they never had to fight but now the in and paving the way for you to do what what you're doing now for you to answer your calling in in this way what battles do you see laying ahead for you guys great question rabbi david um i will i'll keep it simple i think the biggest thing that they had to battle and pave the way on was the presence and the acceptance from the Messianic community. Um, when I tell you, and I want to just give so much love to my mother um, as well, my dad and my mom um, first really jumped onto the scene uh, when when my grandmother, my dad's mom, passed away. Uh, they were on their way to their first Messianic conference and found out my grandmother had passed away. And they continued to go because they felt like we we can't let any anything keep us from solidifying our relationship with this community. And they went and they established their love for and their support of the Messianic community, no matter what it would cost them. And it cost them. It cost them greatly. Um, it cost them losing many relationships and, and advocates and supporters who felt like, What's this weird Jewish stuff you're doing? Um, it, it cost them um, a lot of what they had built as far as name and reputation within the Gentile Christian community. But at the same time, it opened up the door for them to have relationship with the Messianic community as a trusted brother and sister in the Lord. Um, I will tell you this, and you all know it. The Messianic community is tight-knit. It is protected. If I had to just come now onto the scene, 
I would be a random person and it'd be like, absolutely not. You do not have access. But because of what um, my father and what coach pioneered in that relationship with the Messianic community, to this day, I have rabbis that will call me and say, hey, this and this Gentile ministry wants to partner. What do you think? Um, I've been a trusted source to vet because they know that I know the community well. And then they also know that I I discern uh, the the Gentile world as well. That is huge because we can't be a ministry of reconciliation if we don't have access in the Messianic world. (laughs) So that's the biggest thing. And it's interesting. Sorry, I don't mean to cut you off, but it's interesting you point that out because – yeah, you know, the reality is, is Messianic Judaism is kind of a a, a niche market, if you would, a close knit community to to a lot mm-hmm. of degrees. And we're quick, as you mentioned in the first episode, that that uh, Rabbi uh, Robert Solomon did in coming to uh, to to uh, coach and, and Dr. Raleigh and said, hey, you forgot us, right? We're quick to remind people that we're here. We're quick to tell people they left us out, but we're not so quick to realize how many people we're leaving out. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that that is that's huge. That's that's huge. And I think uh, being accepted has allowed me to have those conversations um, and also open the door to, um, you know, those relationships. I would say the biggest hurdle going forward that I faced that my dad and coach um, have not had to face. And I'll make light of it because because I can be silly sometimes is. You know, they've never been women in ministry. <laughs> and the Wait, hurdles. Can you, can you make that statement today? <laughs> Is that socially acceptable? No, I don't know. Uh oh, uh oh, don't cancel. Don't cancel. <laughs> but yes, um, I think the biggest hurdle that I have that they don't have is being a woman in ministry. Um, I recognize that many uh, play- people and places are in different spaces when it comes to uh, the women in ministry, the women in leadership the conversation. Um, but what I do know and what I do believe is that I have to be steadfast with the call that God has for me. And I cannot, nor will I ever take on offense or bitterness because that can totally pollute what I believe is the purity of the anointing God wants me to operate and flow out of. Um, there are rabbis that that absolutely love me and have championed me and have invited me into their pulpits in their congregations. There are pastors that have done the same, but then there are rabbis that love me but would never have a woman come speak on their pulpit. Um, there are pastors that aren't comfortable with women speaking in a pulpit or or with my ordination status the the fact that i am an ordained pastor and so i don't ever believe in being forceful or pushy um i believe in healthy loving conversations i i can debate if we need to debate but i'm not going to argue with anybody or try to convince anybody of the calling that I have um, in championing this message. And so um, I have still, sadly, um, experienced many, many, many obstacles because I am a woman in ministry, but I have been abundantly blessed. Um, My husband has championed me. He's he's kicked a couple of foreheads and doors. (laughs) (laughs) You know, he is he's he's my biggest advocate. But what he reminds me of is is constantly being faithful to the call 
right. um, that I have and being consistent and keeping my focus on the Lord. And, and here's what I believe, my brothers, what God has for me is, is for me. If there's a, a place and space I'm supposed to be in, no man can keep or, or woman can keep uh, me from that. If, if God has gone before me, I have to just stay obedient to the course um, and to be consistent with that. And so while those issues may still be there um, and while that may be my biggest obstacle, it's by no means a point of discouragement. Right. Yeah. Um, I have a, a final question for you guys, for me at least. Um, so and, and not to sound silly, but so the name of the ministry is the Road to Jerusalem. So I'm thinking about Jerusalem, and it just led me to a question. <clears throat> um, have you guys ever done? Have you guys ever, uh, you know, done any ministry there? Uh, you know, had your feet on the ground in Jerusalem and Israel, and done anything, um, you know, in the land? Yes. So I love that question, um, and it's, I'm going to answer it twofold. Yes. So my father. Um, back in 2014, God shifted his vision when he was still leading the road to be all about getting pastors to Israel mm. and then in Israel, connecting them with Messianic pastors. Because, in you know, in Israel, they like to be called Messianic pastors um, and Messianic para congregation ministries. Okay. Um, that those pastors could then have a direct connection with the land. And so he had done two trips, whereas the road to Jerusalem, he took pastors to Israel. Um, and he also even opened it up to like leaders of, of missional organizations. And he connected them with the, the messianic pastors slash rabbis that are there. And in and, and the missional organizations, and they had a mini Road to Jerusalem conference while in the land explaining to them the importance of Ephesians 2 and, and, and One New Man, explaining to them the importance of John 17, these and those being one. And what they found was pastors being in, in the living Bible, right? Right, <laughs> being of course. In the land were more receptive to even receiving the revelation of Jew and Gentile as one. Being in the land, it had a, it almost had like a greater level of revelation. And that was something that my father said, we need to continue to do because from that, not only was he directly connecting pastors with the land, but then he was like, I can even invite Messianic rabbis to come on this tour with us. And it's connecting even stateside relationships as well as relationships with those in the land. So, post those two events their feedback from it was the language barrier right it was hard for them to stay in communication many of those uh leaders were primarily hebrew speaking mm. um and so there was you know uh, uh some communication barriers that were there even though 2014 is a little uh under 10 years away we've advanced even in translation resources since then and so um that was was it uh, that as far as that was concerned, I was supposed to lead the first tour of that where I was opening up to not just pastors, but as you all know, some of the biggest people that have weight spiritually are influencers, right? These can be 
Christian or Messianic artist worship leaders. Mm-hmm. Um, these can be uh, uh, just voices that don't necessarily run a church or congregation, but have a more spiritual sway and influence over young minds being shaped. So I wanted to do my first tour that was going to be led uh, by me with pastors and influencers. We had it all booked for guess what year? 2020. Oh, of course. Uh. <laughs> And so that ended, but to God be the glory, because at that time, I didn't know that I would be president and CEO two years from then. Right. And so since we've re um, kind of recalibrated the ministry in a way, uh, we are going to get back to having an Israel trip. That is one of I'd say we get there's two questions we get asked. The number two question that we're asked is, can you take us to Israel? Where, where's yeah. your Israel trip? <laughs> are you going to Israel? Right. Right, the number one question that we're asked is, when are you going to do a Road to Jerusalem conference state-wise, stateside? Um, and so with that being the number two question that's asked of us as a ministry, we are going to get it back uh, going. We really want to target um, uh, what we do here, there. So instead of an event, we would love to do a large table yeah, uh, that's all. Yeah, in I, I love Mariana Gold. She's in Beersheba uh, uh, in the Bedouin population, right? She's with orphans oh, yeah. and widows. I mean, come on. Can y'all see it? Can yeah, y'all yeah. see right. the table yeah. in Israel in those in those outcasted places that we're Gentiles not just coming to take pictures? Yeah, you, you know? really bring it to life. Yeah, that's why and, I was... And that. really bring the table to life. So, yes, Toby, you hit the nail on the head. Um, it, it's It's exactly part of the vision what want to do and where we're where we're headed to awesome real quick do y'all plan on having a conference stateside at some point <laughs> <laughs> asking for asking for a friend just right right asking for a friend. <laughs> so for a friend 2024 the plan is in 2024 uh to have our first road to jerusalem conference stateside with the new mission and vision of the ministry um we're praying for the spring and the lord has given us he says three places so the uh, uh, what i call a spring a mini spring tour um where we would hit three cities mm. and and it'd be the same conference but rotating to three cities um, in the U.S. And my prayer is that those three cities could be cross-regional. So we hit the Southeast region, we get the Midwest region, and then we get that West Coast. Awesome. Um, so we're praying. Um, I'll be seeking the wisdom and, and counsel of the board, and we're praying for divine resources, provision, and partnerships to be able to make that happen. Awesome. And Thank speaking you. about resources and such, how do our listeners find you? How do they support you? And uh, what things are your primary needs right now? Awesome question, Rabbi. So, one, uh, anybody that's listening, you can find us on our website at www.theroadtojerusalem.org the road to jerusalem.org again uh we can also be found on social media via instagram or facebook our handles on those platforms are very simple it's at the road 
to Jerusalem. It's important to put the the because there are some other entities that use road to Jerusalem. Um, but those are the ways that you can contact us. You can send us emails. Uh, you can direct message us um, on those sites as well. Um, and how we can best be supported where our greatest need is two things um, as the table has become a real focal point at the epicenter of what we do um, we literally can put on a table in a community in an urban area for two thousand dollars what does that two thousand dollars cover it covers a meal with dignity utilizing an indigenous chef or caterer to the community it covers a beautiful ambiance bringing to life what jesus culturally celebrated shabbat like right with hala and and kadim it also provides practical resources we're able to give away grocery cards gas cards clothes, uh, even things that would would be practical needs for the community. And then uh, lastly, it covers um, things that we need like tables, tablecloths and, you know, little logistical things, utensils and stuff like that for people to be able to uh, get what they need. Come 2024, uh, we've also been asked to do a resource table at our table, meaning um, to, to provide diapers, to provide clothing, to provide items that people have been wanting to donate to us um, so that we can also take some of those practical things and just have resource tables for giveaways there as well. So the biggest need that we have is funding to be able to carry out uh, the table. And even if uh, you, you feel led to be a contributor to the Road to Jerusalem, missionally, you know, we're building an ambassador program. We're trying to save for conferences for 2024 um, so that we can eventually plan that Israel tour and trip as a ministry. And we'll go ahead and make sure to put the uh, the web address in the comment section or the information section in our podcast uh, locations. Thank you so much, brothers. It's, it's an honor to, to be here. Gary and I are, uh, as we said in that first episode, we are uh, avid supporters of the Messy Antics podcast. What you guys are doing, um, you're really bringing um, not just biblical truths, but you know issues and and topics you're you're making it plain in layman's terms but you're also bringing depth and revelation so just keep doing the amazing work you all are doing and we love being in relationship and in partnership with with each of you absolutely the same to y'all we love y'all love you guys we guys we appreciate your time and for uh, informing our listeners on uh, the road to Jerusalem and on you guys personally. And uh, we will see you guys on a future episode. Thank you. Take care. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Messy Antics podcast. Make sure to subscribe so you can be notified every time we drop a new episode. And be sure to follow and interact with us on social media at Messy Antics Podcast.